0: You carry nearly 80 gigs of data in my head. You're in the mainframe. It's eating through Greg's entire system. Access encoded. Gigabyte of RAM should do the trick. We're in. We're in. We're in.
1: We're in. We're in.
2: Hello, and welcome to We're In, a podcast that gets inside the brightest minds in cybersecurity. I'm Blake Subchak.
3: And I'm Bella Deschance cook We have a very special guest for today's show, renowned philanthropist Craig Newmark, perhaps best known for founding, well, Craigslist.
2: Fun fact, I once made ends meet working at a paint shop while slinging furniture on Craigslist. That was back in the early 2010s, and it could be surprisingly lucrative.
3: Believe it or not, I have actually never made a Craigslist purchase.
2: Well, it's not too late, and we will hear a little bit more about Craigslist today. But the main reason we invited Craig to be on the show was his whopping $50 million pledge in early 2022 uh, in support of what he calls a cyber civil defense initiative through his namesake, Philanthropy.
3: Craig will explain exactly what he means by cyber civil defense, and we'll talk more about the impact that some of that money is already having. Uh, But first, let's hear a quick word from our sponsor. We're In is
1: brought to you by Cynac, the premier
3: crowdsourced
1: platform for on-demand security expertise. Cynac delivers 24-7 pen testing, intelligence, and vulnerability management from a global network of vetted and trusted researchers. Their work is enhanced by smart technologies to accelerate your critical cybersecurity missions. Synac gives businesses the best chance of finding every vulnerability that matters. Find out more at synac.com. That's S-Y-N-A-C-K dot com.
2: So Craig, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Uh, I want to jump right into it. In April, you committed through Craig Newmark Philanthropies to donating $50 million to an array of organizations that help Americans face escalating cybersecurity threats. That is a big chunk of change. Can you share your reasons for doing that and the rationale behind that?
0: Our country is under increasing attack by people who wish us harm. I figure uh, I can help, uh, so I should. Like I tell people, a nerd's gotta do what a nerd's gotta do. Love that expression.
3: Incredible. Was there was there a moment that sort of brought you to that mindset, though? Like, was there a specific moment in time, maybe an event or a particular hack that made you think, oh, I should really care and start doing something about the cybersecurity threat?
0: It was just a gradual realization, accelerated a bit by conversations with Kelly Bourne from uh, Hewlett Foundation, and their cybersecurity project. Uh, Somebody needed to stand up. And frankly, uh, cybersecurity is something that I know something about. So I figured I was the guy.
2: What's sort of your experience in the
0: cybersecurity realm? Um, Frankly, my thesis work uh, had a bit to do with security way back in uh, 1976. And so over the decades... I've been uh, paying intermittent attention to cybersecurity issues, uh, sometimes more than other times. For example, when I helped build home banking for uh, Bank of America, I was one of a couple of people who kept saying, "We need to think about this." My contributions to that project were minor, but uh, I was persistent.
2: Well, it's, uh, since you are we're going back in time here a little bit to your thesis work, and I did want to, you know get a chance. It's not often that that I get to, you know, talk with an internet pioneer here. And so I really wanted to go back and ask about The Well, uh, or the the Whole Earth Electronic Link. And I guess, you know, that gained notoriety in the 80s and 90s. Many of our listeners, I'm sure, are familiar with that. Uh, How did your participation in that internet salon kind of shape your views on these subjects?
0: Yeah, I joined The Well right around uh, 30 years ago. And the community spirit was a big deal. The idea that people should help each other out, should give each other a break, now and then should even be uh, one's brother's keeper. Uh, That spirit was very much part of the well. Uh, When I moved to uh, San Francisco about a year after, I found that spirit alive and well, Um, not only at the well, and I went to a few of the uh, parties, but I saw it there, I saw it at the... uh, Meetings of the virtual reality special interest group, uh, people could uh, help each other and everyone got ahead.
3: Going back to your commitment through your philanthropic organization to helping uh, protect against cyber attacks, what areas are most interesting or maybe most frightening to you?
0: Of greatest interest is just the need for everyone to pitch in and play a role much like people did during uh, World War II. Um, the idea is that we all, if we're any good with computers, should learn how to protect our stuff, whether it's uh, Wi-Fi and our systems at home or our phones or notebooks when they're on the road. Uh, everyone should uh, be able to do that, but it does require additional education um, for what I'm calling cyber-civil defense. The idea is that at home you should have some idea of what's going on on your network. Um, and overall, you should have software running in your systems to tell you if something fishy has happened. Some of that software exists, some doesn't. But in terms of the people I've helped fund, uh, I've helped build a network, a team of people, uh, focusing on that kind of stuff. For example, uh, Consumer Reports, they're doing a lot of curation work. That shouldn't be surprising since they've been doing that for 85 years. Back then, the washing machine was high-tech. Now, uh, we have to be concerned with our internet-connected devices like our cars and coffee makers and refrigerators. I, consumer Reports is
2: such a trusted authority in so many realms of product reviews. And I remember even, I believe it was uh, virtual private networks that they did kind of a deep dive into the value proposition. And maybe oftentimes some of these cyber tools are misunderstood. I di- I was hoping you could speak a bit to the challenges of building this cyber civil defense, right? You have so many people who might not be as technically astute or know what to do with like enabling multi-factor authentication or setting up password managers or taking some other steps. Uh, how do you get through to those people, and and are the organizations you're supporting working on that dilemma?
0: Well, in terms of getting the people to do the job, uh, I'm uh, working with people who I can see already know how to do it. Consumer Reports, in particular, but there's also the Global uh, Cyber Alliance, and then there's a bunch of people, a bunch of groups who are doing good work uh, educating people. That includes Girls Who Code. Uh, the Girl Scouts, uh, Vets in Tech, which trains uh, vets and there's, and military spouses for careers in technology. The idea is that a lot of people are doing a lot of good work already. I guess my job is to help them do that and maybe to get them to uh, work with each other. Sometimes that's the hard part. You have to uh, remind people that uh, we uh, succeed when we work together. And that's showing a lot of promise, and I think is beginning to work.
3: And on that, you know, with this idea of organizations that are specifically for getting more folks into cybersecurity, what do you think is holding people back? Like, what's holding us back from getting more people into this field?
0: A lot of it is getting people the education in basics so at least they could protect themselves. Um, and then the education, which can take them from the basics seamlessly into professional-level education. So the theme of the teams that I work with are, let's get some education out there and the necessary tools for civilians, including myself. And that education should lead someone to reflect that, hey, if they're good at uh, cyber on that level, and if, uh, they're, if they find it an interesting challenge, then they can consider a career in that. So basics, and then for people who are good at it and who uh, are looking forward to that as a career, then they can proceed there. I was really amazed
2: to read in a recent uh, ISC Squared report that in 2022, I guess we hit a record number of cybersecurity professionals in the industry worldwide of 4.7 million. And I was just, that number really struck me. I was really impressed by it. But then the report goes on to say that there's still this shortage of millions of individuals. I think the number floated with something in the 3.4 million range. How do you scale up addressing this challenge?
0: The way uh, the people I work with and myself are doing it is by trying to figure out how to provide cybersecurity education, again, on civilian and professional levels, and to try to make it uh, self-instructional so that people can teach themselves basics. And a lot of people can do that. That's how I relearned uh, software engineering and new languages over the last 30 years, even though I haven't coded anything in the last 20. But the idea is that the kind of people who I think might be good at cyber um a lot of that has to be self-education I don't know if that's true that's just what my gut tells me
3: I think a lot of the information that I got when I was first getting into the field was self-taught and so I'm I'm kind of inclined to agree with you that having this information available for folks that are interested in self-teaching is really important but I also struggle to understand like why that's the route um but I wonder if maybe it's partly because of how quickly this industry changes. Like I know when I first started getting into cybersecurity, a lot of the information that I needed to learn was like in almost like forums, right? Like it it wasn't, there wasn't always a lot of like published information about it. It was just sort of having to do research to see who's posting things right now. But as folks that are already in the industry, how do we help create resources and learning opportunities for folks trying to get into the industry?
0: My guess is help the people who are building the material, again, like the Girl Scouts. The idea is they have uh, cybersecurity merit badges already, but more work needs to be done. And then we need to take that education and education from uh, other places and make it available to everyone. That has to be accompanied by uh, the software people need. And some of it may not exist. And finally there may be be a big need to create uh, teaching environments. For example, um, in the transition from civilian to possibly professional-level education, we need to uh, make it easy for people to work with others to build a network and defend it, and then uh, conversely to work with a team to uh, attack networks. So those two together would be graduation exercises, maybe at civilian and professional uh, levels. The deal is we all need our home systems to be uh, periodically uh, pen tested um, because that's a big deal for uh, everyone to some extent. It's a much bigger deal, of course, for people who may wind up being targeted one way or the other.
2: Pen testing is music to our ears here at uh, at, at synac we, we, do, uh, we do know a thing or two about that, I will say, and uh, it is important ultimately, but both postures are, right? And even this notion of defense and getting the word out to as many people as possible. I love this idea of a cybersecurity nutrition label. I, I, what do you mean by that?
0: Well, what I mean is what the uh, White House is talking about in that a product with a cybersecurity nutrition label Is basically a product which has been tested in good faith to be reasonably secure against uh, malicious hacking. For example, uh, you want your car to be tested so that you have confidence that a hacker won't steer it in the wrong place when you're on the freeway or maybe driving along a cliffside road. Uh, You want some confidence that your uh, coffee maker won't engage in a uh, distributed uh, denial of surface attack. You want some confidence, too, that uh, that your coffee maker won't try to poison you. And since uh, people like me have uh, unintentional bioweapons development going on in the back of our refrigerators, we uh, (laughs) want our refrigerators to be relatively safe from hacking. And most of all, of course, we don't want all the refrigerators, coffee makers, and other appliances. We don't want them networking networking together, achieving sentience, and then harboring ill will towards us. It would call itself Skynet, and the next thing you know, it's going to send Arnold Schwarzenegger back in time to uh, kill someone who would otherwise prevent the rise of the machines. See, as
2: alarmed as I should be about that last statement, it's really the shrimp that I just remembered in the back of the refrigerator that has me more worried at the moment from your earlier comments about uh, needing to stay on top of these things. Uh, but uh, actually, you, you talk about, you know, all these devices and, and connected uh, uh technologies. I remember one of the most striking examples, actually, uh, Andy Greenberg over at Wired uh, demonstrated that live hack of, I believe it was a Jeep Cherokee, if I'm not mistaken, not to pick on particular brand, uh, where as he's driving, these elite hackers were able to break into the car and grind it to a halt on the freeway and kill the engine. And it just, it blew my mind to witness that and and see kind of where we're headed as a society. Uh, so uh, yeah. And Now these conversations are happening, as you mentioned, at the highest levels in the White House. Really, are you part of those conversations or have you been monitoring with interest?
0: What I'm doing is funding the people who are doing the actual work, who are going to the White House. For example, the people at Consumer Reports. We are uh, talking about it pretty actively. The deal is, it's for real. Uh, The Consumer Reports people are really good at this kind of stuff. They'll be working with NIST and other people who are really good at this stuff. And I'm working with the Aspen Cybersecurity Group to make it happen. The idea is that I can uh, provide the resources needed for people who do good work to do more good work and to do it um, collaborating in partnership with other groups to do the uh, work. My job is to provide those resources to bug people into working together, and then to remind them over and over to be uh, working with each other. And that seems to be a thing, which is already, uh, you know, somewhat successful.
2: Yeah, I was going to ask: Are you are we any closer to the uh, this notion of a of a cyber civil defense since you? made the announcement of this $50 million pledge?
0: I want to think so. I see people working together that uh, normally might not. This collaboration is much harder than it sounds. So people are working together. Uh, We'll be working with a lot of different groups, even uh, CISA and the part of the White House uh, National Security Council that does uh, cyber. The deal is that people want to work with each other. And maybe they just uh, need someone uh, bugging them to do it. As I uh, also, I like to refer to uh, the way that uh, well, what, what Batman would say. Uh, maybe I'm not the nerd you want, but I'm the nerd you got. I I did want to flip back to
2: Craigslist for a second, and just you know, as you were spinning that up, and and, and as Craigslist was starting up. I understand, you know, this is with the caveat to listeners that, you know, I understand you haven't had an active role there in many years, but I'm curious, were you faced with any big cybersecurity challenges getting such a huge network built?
0: Well, when it was just me, or maybe in our first year when I was still foolishly acting as CEO, Mm -hmm. um, I would tell people, hey, uh, think about cybersecurity I would ask specific questions, for example, regarding firewalling, and subjects which I barely understood, like SQL injection. Uh, I would, uh, from the beginning, I would talk to system administrators about making sure things were uh, patched properly, because that was true. For example, when Craigslist ran as a, a guest on someone's servers, it was true when we were running on a machine which was administered uh, as for people who were doing uh, us a favor, and then into the actual real days of Craigslist. Um, I did turn down the CEO role after probably uh, less than a year of doing so. Uh, People helped me understand how much as a manager I suck and how much there was a real need to get someone else in that role. Uh, I did... Then go into full time and pretty intense customer service. Did that for about fifteen years, which can take a lot out of you.
2: I can imagine. You know, stepping back for a second and thinking about the scope of your uh, the work of your philanthropy and the donations that you've committed to making, uh, it's hard not to not to think of this word uh, legacy. Looking at it from the outside, what would you want that to be? Either from Craigslist or a combination of your giving. How are you thinking about your legacy in 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 cybersecurity i guess we'll we'll we'll
0: start there I'm uh not really thinking about my legacy, not in those terms. I do think ahead my planning horizon is a couple hundred years, although that really illustrates that I read too much science fiction um, but I figure I need to set in motion a number of good activities which will per- perpetuate themselves. I do like to tell people that uh, I'm committed to customer service in one form or another, and, you know, I will uh, continue to do so, but only as long as I live. After that, um, well, I'd like to say it's over, except I'm now working on things including Hologram Craig, but that's for another day. Oh, my goodness.
3: So I know you once told Insider that if you could have any job in the world, not your own, that you might've wanted to be a journalist at the top of their profession. What would you say if you were answering that question right now?
0: I I think I would change my mind since journalists get a lot of abuse and I've learned since then how hard the job (laughs) is. Uh, So if I uh, had a choice, I might wanna be a quantum physicist at the top of their profession. Uh, that's something if I had another century of life, I might want to be able to do, except that, uh, oh, physics and the needed math are really hard. At the end of my freshman year in college, I realized that and decided to, uh, not go into those areas. That's when I decided I would go into, uh, computer sciences. Of course, for, uh, Maybe as long as a year, I thought I would be able to go into artificial intelligence. But then I realized after a while that there was going to be very few jobs in AI in the uh, mid to late 70s. That's uh,
2: being a little bit ahead of your time, perhaps. I, I It's funny you talk about your career trajectory, yeah. I, I think. I I come from a journalism background. Before joining Synac, I uh, worked at uh, Politico and and a publication called ENE News, and I now run our. Cybersecurity publication called Read Me, uh, which covers a lot of the issues shaping the conversation around around cyber today. But I think there's a you know there's a reputation among journalists that okay maybe we couldn't do the math or couldn't you know speak the language of physics to go down that path. But I do still find it so fascinating, and I'm a big sci-fi fan myself. Uh, you know, honestly as well. Uh, I'm curious, you know, with quantum stuff, it that does have direct relevance to the cybersecurity world. Have you followed these threats? Proliferating about quantum computing, I guess I don't fully claim to understand it, but just making it way easier, I guess, to break encryption protocols. And what's what's going on with that? Is that something that you're tracking?
0: Well, it's something that I am I am paying attention to. In theory, a, a quantum computer with sufficient uh, qubits could break existing means of encryption, which is why uh, CISA and others are talking about encryption uh, algorithms that aren't susceptible to quantum uh, decryption. Uh, that's a big deal right there. I'm not convinced that quantum computing will ever be quite that developed because of the problems of, uh, I guess, its uh, decoherence. But I do pay attention to it, if for no other reason, that to understand a lot of contemporary hard science fiction you have to know a fair amount about uh, quantum physics, how networks work, how viruses and uh, evolution works, uh, aside from the uh, more traditional stuff like orbital mechanics.
3: I think so. One thing I think it's interesting hearing you say that because I don't know, I'm always fascinated by what cybersecurity things people find like genuinely worrisome versus what, you know, might not really be imp- impactful, at least not impactful for us in our lifetimes. For instance, um, w- as someone who like has kind of a lot of experience seeing different cybersecurity threats and thinking about these things, do you have any tips? I guess for making that distinction, what is a threat that we should actively be worrying about right now, today, versus you know, science
0: fiction? That's highly individual. Uh, everyone's uh, threat matrix is different. Um, The hard part and the part which people find it hard to start is evaluating the threats uh, to oneself, to one's family, uh, business, and so on. The idea is that uh, the hard part is to get started, and then you start to think about details like, well, how many doors and windows does your home have? Is anyone actually going to try to get in there? Um, Are you worried about uh, ninjas rappelling down from adjacent buildings? Uh, Repelling ninjas is not part of my threat (laughs) matrix. And uh, I'm uh, working carefully that uh, that should never be a part of that.
3: Do you think that that is like that exercise of understanding your own threat matrix? Do you think that that is uh, something that is or is not well understood kind of by the general public?
0: I don't think the need to think about it is generally understood. Um, and the problem is that a lot of people uh, overreact to, to possible threats. That's particularly true regarding uh, street crime these days, because there are uh, corrupt people in politics and media who find it profitable to wildly exaggerate crime in the, uh, in the U.S. right now. These are real problems, but you don't have to live a life of fear. Some people like to live uh, fearfully as a kind of hobby, and we need to encourage uh, people uh, who might indulge in that to avoid uh, panicking. There are real problems, but uh, if you're uh, worried about it all the time, then uh, you've already lost.
2: Well, speaking of real problems and fears, based here in Washington, D.C., and with my background in journalism, it was with some degree of alarm that I witnessed some of my fellow uh, countrymen uh, marching for reasons that I thought were not founded in, in the reality that I experienced. And that was uh, certainly around the election issue, around the validity of certain results. Uh, it's been very eye-opening to uh, to me to see that sort of play out and, and to see how deep-rooted some disinformation can really be in our society. Uh, I know that's that's been an area of interest for you as well. Uh, can you speak a little bit to that piece?
0: Well, right now, our country's adversaries use a disinformation as part of what they call a hybrid warfare to divide us and weaken us as a country. Um, however, dealing with that kind of stuff requires the communication skills that you don't find uh, with a nerd, and uh, well, like, have you met me? Um, and so, what I've done is I've helped people who are good at this stuff learn how to deal with the issue. Um, people are only beginning to learn the techniques that need that are needed to uh, defeat our uh, country's adversaries. Uh, the techniques include uh, prebunking and maybe flooding the zone with facts, um, but the deal there is that I help the country by supporting the people who could do a good job, and then my role is to stay out of their way. Broadly speaking, knowing when to get out of the way is a really big deal and a highly desirable skill. I
2: should probably avail myself of that option a little more often sometimes, but uh, but it's very tempting to inject yourself in areas where maybe you shouldn't be. <laughs> so I I can certainly respect that decision making on your part to say, hey, here's where i here's what I care about, here's what here's where I want to support, but. Uh, I wanted to flip back to sci-fi because it's such an interesting, both personal interest of mine, uh, but also just in the history of cybersecurity. I mean, you had the first mention of the concept of of cybernetics, of cyber, you know, technology emerging from a from a, a sci-fi book. Uh, what's on your bookshelf these days? What sort of ideas are you encountering?
0: In my uh, Kindle app on my phone, I have a uh, collection of books, uh, science fiction some of which involve, uh, oh, uh, future uh, politics and uh, warfare, Uh, some which just involve what happens when you try to build an interstellar civilization and there's a lot of leftover autonomous weapons from uh, previous wars. That's what's on my uh, virtual bookshelf these days. There's also the latest uh, Ian Rankin, uh, John Rebus novel, part of a series set in Edinburgh. Uh, So I'm reading a lot. I'm reading all the time. Um, The only downside in a way is that I prefer reading uh, e-books on my phone, which means that I don't buy paper anymore. And I I don't have much to add to my bookshelves, which is sad because the place I live in here in Greenwich Village has a perfect library and uh, filling those shelves uh has been more of a challenge than it should be. I hear you there.
2: I've uh I've yet to fill up my shelves. I moved somewhat recently and it's been it's been difficult. Um so okay, quick uh fourth wall caveat here. It'll take us you know a couple of weeks to edit this and get this out. With that said, what's next for Craig Newmark philanthropies? What's on the horizon for you?
0: More of the same in that I need to find uh, better ways all the time to help people doing the heavy lifting for our country. Uh, An evolving focus area for me is journalist protection because it's something I've been working on without focusing that way. For example, I support a couple of pro bono uh, legal efforts like at uh, Yale Law. And partially announced, but not fully, is an effort... Uh, called Reporters Mutual, which is affordable media insurance for journalists and small news organizations. That's a program growing out of the White House Summit for Democracy, which has turned it over to uh, USAID. Near and
2: dear to my my heart. That sounds fantastic.
0: Watch the skies or Watch my email for announcements. <laughs>
2: got it, got it, got it. Fantastic. Well, we really appreciate your time. And I know, Bella, I think you had one last question. I though, do. I have one always, last question.
3: This should be an easy one, or it'll be either the easiest or hardest question of our day. Um, we ask all of our guests this question. What is something that we wouldn't know about you just by looking at your LinkedIn profile or your general online social media presence?
0: Most of what I'm about is part of my uh, online presence. I mean, if you looked at my LinkedIn stuff, which is fairly formal, you wouldn't see, for example, that I uh, support uh, pigeon rescue. And for that matter, you may see that in the past I participated in uh, pigeon related photo ops. Um, I don't make clear that uh, in such situations, you want the pigeons to be wearing pigeon pants. That's a thing. And basically, they're. uh, diapers for indoor pigeons. And I speak from direct firsthand experience. You want the pigeons to be wearing pigeon pants before they fly on your shoulder.
3: I feel like there's a story there. uh,
0: (laughs) My rationale ultimately is that I do love birds and I may have a sense of humor.
2: (laughs) You know, I thought in, in digging around your online presence a little bit, I saw a suspicious amount about squirrel proofing. So that actually tracks.
0: Yes. Um, Squirrel-proofing is a, a considerable concern, uh, both in uh, San Francisco and New York. I mean, squirrels are basically rats with good PR.
2: <laughs> I love that. I love that. Well, thank you so much again for for joining us here. And uh, really appreciate also just on a personal note your contributions to the cybersecurity community. I think it's uh, certainly gone, hasn't gone unrecognized and uh, it's it's very important. Uh, yeah
0: thanks, but lots more is required. Uh, I just can't stop. Well,
3: we're all appreciative of that. And it was great to talk to you. Does your penetration testing meet compliance
1: requirements? Does it adhere to the most rigorous security standards on the market today? Now you can find SYNAC on the FedRAMP marketplace for all of your agency's security testing needs. SYNAC recently received moderate in-process status from FedRAMP meaning that even more U.S. departments, agencies, and contractors can utilize SYNAC's global network of trusted and vetted security researchers for on-demand around-the-clock pen testing. Learn more at SYNAC.com. That's S-Y-N-A-C-K.com.
3: If you liked today's episode, please give us a five-star rating and subscribe wherever you're listening to this. It'll really help us get noticed on your favorite podcast platforms. Also, you can share this episode with your friends and make sure to check out all of the other fascinating people that we've already interviewed. We're also open to your suggestions. If you know someone that we should be talking to, drop us a line at we're in at cynac.com. That's we K.com.